everybody, this is Steve Thompson, and I just want to introduce you to kind of a guest podcaster with us today, Josh Bitework. He's the executive director of Love and Action here in our town, and I would say a watermarker at heart, even though you aren't necessarily a watermarker. I but love watermark. I absolutely love watermark. I know you do, which is why we'd love to hear from you today. So Josh, could you share with us what God's teaching you out of Genesis 11? Hi, everybody. I'm going to begin by reading this story. It says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech." So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. These are the generations of Shem. When Shem was a hundred years old, he fathered Arpachshad two years after the flood. And Shem lived after he fathered Arpachshad five hundred years and had other sons and daughters. When Arpachshad had lived 35 years, he fathered Shelah, and Arpachshad lived after he fathered Shelah 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Shelah had lived 30 years, he fathered Eber, and Shelah lived after he fathered Eber 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Eber had lived 34 years, he fathered Peleg, and Eber lived after he fathered Peleg 430 years and had other sons and daughters. When Peleg had lived 30 years, he fathered Reu. And Peleg lived after he fathered Reu 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Reu had lived 32 years, he fathered Serug. And Reu lived after he fathered Serug 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Serug had lived 30 years, he fathered Nahor. And Serug lived after he fathered Nahor 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he fathered Terah. And Nahor lived after he fathered Terah 119 years and had other sons and daughters. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Izcah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to, into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. I'm going to talk about the first part of this story, the, the Tower of Babel story, which is just kind of one of these enigmatic kind of crazy stories in the Old Testament. But it brings to light in my life some things that are really interesting for me, so I want to share with you. 
When I was a kid, uh, we, as a family, often, whenever it was on TV, it wasn't a regular TV show, but we often watched, whenever it was available, Jacques Cousteau. Cousteau was an oceanographer and an explorer, and he traveled the world looking for oceans worthy of study. And we were just fascinated as he discovered new species of sharks, looked for the lost, sea, lost city of Atlantis, and checked out the world's deepest ocean trenches. And there was always this sense of adventure with Cousteau, and there was also a sense of danger. And it was like there was something inside of him, and I think there's something inside of maybe all of us that needed to conquer territory, and not because of a, a sense of power, but because of something more is out there. Let's discover it. When God created the world, I think he handed us, as a race of people, the opportunity to discover, the opportunity to spread out, take dominion, and connect with our world in a, in a powerful way and understand how to bless each other, bless him, bless our God as he loves us, and bless the, the planet that we're in with wise caretaking. And in this story, what you see is the opposite of that. They've lived through these terrible years where these human beings had grown so dark in their souls that they were damaging each other. And then they've gone through the great flood with only a few people surviving it. And at the end, they're choosing again to go in opposite direction as the one God intended for them. He was again saying, go figure out this world. Go figure out all of its continents, all of its oceans, all of its valleys, and all of its mountains. And instead, they were choosing instead to, to build a city. And they knew it. They knew and understood that they were doing something for their own glory, for their own gain, and something that made them, I suspect, feel safe. Something that took away from their sense of fear as having lived through this terrible devastation in the recent past as a race of people. And now they're saying, you know what, let's not go do this. Let's not go spread out and take dominion and connect with the world and connect with all of its pieces. God had handed us and has handed us even yet the world we're in. And I imagine what he intended was that we would discover how to populate every one of the, every one of the continents and all of the seas without filling the oceans with plastic or filling our aquifers with chemicals or destroying each other through abuse or conflict or war. And of course, that's not the story of our race. We have a good and bad tale that goes back and forth. But here, these people have chosen again to kind of glut up, to connect with each other and to be safe instead of to go around the corner like Jacques Cousteau and figure out what's next, to figure out the next valley. And I imagine in that world, because it was uninhabited, there was a huge amount of fear. What would they find? What were the dangers that they would experience? A few years ago, I read somebody as saying that every motivation of the human heart will come down to one of two things, fear or love. Our race of people, as far as I can tell, is that we are literally motivated. If we, we follow the, the chain of thought in our brains or the, the, the process of our hearts, if we, if we really dig into who we are, it will come down to either fear or love in every action and every motivation for every action. And these people chose fear. They chose to stay together rather to go where God had called them to in love of his world, in love of him, and frankly, in love of future generations that they could have blessed. And he had to do something about it. The interesting thing for me is that God has often had to do this. We often personally, individually, or in groups decide as a race of people, you know what, we're going to do this the safe way. I think of Jeremiah who didn't want to go to the king in his era or I think of Elijah who fled into the desert away from Jezebel and all of the marauding army that was chasing him. I think of any number of different stories of people who had to choose to either go towards love or go towards fear. And most of us in our life, at least at periods, for periods of time, choose fear. 
One of my favorite versions of this story or fav favorite retellings of the fear versus love story is the early church. In every city I've lived, there's been an it church. And true confession, if you think watermarks that, I'm very happy for you. Uh, but there's always kind of that it church, right? The church that is growing to be this next cool thing. And uh, some of us are always attracted to those churches. And one, at one point, I think we found out in a, in a meeting in a church I pastored that we were actually in that church at a specific point. And then we fell off and we weren't the it church anymore. Well, the it church for sure in all of history was the early church in Jerusalem. It had all the people and it was growing exponentially, thousands of people coming to faith, lots of money being given. And in that era, lots of miracles occurring as well. The lame were learning, were, were being able to walk and there were lepers that were being cleansed and all of these stories that were powerful and amazing things were happening. But nobody was thinking of what Jesus' last words were, that they should be his witnesses and that should be first in Jerusalem and then Judea and then Samaria and then the uttermost parts of the world. And the reality of this group of people was that they chose fear too. They had been afraid for a long time and their fear had been that they were going to be alone and that they were going to be persecuted. And they as Jews were people who couldn't be, um, they couldn't find a place in the Roman Empire. And instead they had found this amazing new faith and found each other and found the apostles and they were daily meeting in the temple and all these good things were happening. But nobody was thinking, let's go up to Samaria and share the word. Nobody was thinking, let's go to Turkey or North Africa or India or Rome or any of the places where they, that they all knew existed, but nobody was willing to go because they were all reacting to the fear that had always been in their lives. Persecution breaks out and all of a sudden Peter, James, John, and so many others travel around the known world and churches are planted inadvertently, almost accidentally by these disciples who are on fire for God, but have to choose love over fear. And as God kind of pushes them out of the nest, they go and a church sprouts up in India under Thomas and Matthew and in North Africa under Philip and Peter and Paul probably both die in Rome. There are churches in Turkey and Greece and all over the known world by the time 100 years has passed. But it takes God, again, kind of smashing this group of people, this it church, like he did with the Tower of Babel, and spreading them out. And as they go, they realize they have to choose love. There are books that are written to those people. First Peter and James are two of those that I think of. So the way this hits me in my soul and my heart is that we have the opportunity to either choose fear or to choose faith all of us. In about a month, my third child will turn 13, which means I will have three teenagers. And in a culture of vaping and, frankly, suicide and difficulty and abuse in our youth, one of my greatest fears is honestly for my children in this world. And I have to question whether my reactions, even as I'm looking at my children, are reactions of love or fear, even as they make bad choices. Am I reacting to positives or to negatives or reacting positively or negatively in fear or love? And sometimes I have to choose love in a way that just feels kind counterintuitive, putting up with things for a season until God makes a way. And I can think of that in child raising and being, a, and being a, a leader or being connected to a ministry or being connected to a church. In the local business world, we can easily become afraid, thinking we've handed our lives and our souls over to a local company. And we should, because we work hard, have everything it takes to make ends meet and live successfully in our society. But again and again, these kind of fears encroach us and brokenness kind of conquers us. And we have to choose whether we're going to love in God's terms past some of these damaging moments. I think fear and the danger of it constantly hit us. And I don't know what that is for you, but it's a constantly different story for each one of us.
Roger Price, who's a leadership expert in Holland, says that only 5% of relationships actually are broken by the truth. Meaning if you have a terrible truth to tell somebody you have a relationship with, the reality is your chances are 95% that you will be successful if you tell the truth and that relationship will continue. That means choosing love actually really works. But most of us constantly are tempted to choose fear. And these people in Genesis 11, they, they devastatingly choose fear. The next story with Abram is one of a story where a man chooses love and it changes all of history. I'm so excited for you guys reading that next. Thank you and God bless.